episode number four. On today's episode, I'm answering a question about creating fitness goals without diet culture. I am interviewing the amazing Chrissy King about the intersection of feminism, race, and fitness, and how powerlifting saved her life. And then I'm closing out with a quick note about navigating nutrition info on the internet and just how to know if something's right for you. Also, if you hear my cat meowing in the background, he really wants to be fed, but I told him (laughs) two minutes, like I have to finish my podcast, but you know what? It's fine. He runs this house, not me. So it'll be okay. Also, have I made that joke on my podcast already? I'm already on, like, I feel like I'm on episode number four and I've just run out of jokes, but that's, that's not good. So before we get into it, this podcast is brought to you by my Patreon. If you want to join a community, uh, I'm finally in a better mood. I was kind of freaking out and I'll explain that in a second. But if you want to join a community of supportive and compassionate people dedicated to healing their relationships with food, head on over to WhitneyCatalano.com slash podcast to learn more. By becoming a monthly patron, not only will you get lots of exclusive content and support from me, but you will also be directly supporting the creation of this podcast, which I'm seriously so grateful for. This week in the Facebook group, we're working through 10 weeks of intuitive eating still. Um, I think we were talking about uh, going to doctors. My mom just joined. So if you've been like (laughs) wanting to interact with my mom, she's there. It's funny because she doesn't support my Patreon, but like, you know, she supports my whole being alive thing. Like (laughs) number one, (laughs) arguably my biggest patron, like my my most valuable patron. Um, But when she requested to be in the Facebook group, I looked at my friend Bridget and I was like, do you think I should let my mom in the group? And she was like, yes, you should let your mom in the group. Like, what are you saying right now? Um, So, hey, mom, (laughs) shout out. So, yeah, the group is a lot of fun. I would definitely recommend joining if you're looking for a community. Thank you to everyone who's been leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. Those are really important. For some reason, Apple Podcasts has like a monopoly on social clout in the podcast world. So I very much appreciate it. And I wanted to start reading off the names of people who have left reviews. So thank you to Random Human, Skier003, also my mom. Uh, Tom Bassett, Whitewashed 100, BKB, which is Bridget, what's up? Tina Set, my life coach Rachel, and if you go check out, that's her Instagram handle. If you go check out her Instagram, I actually did a podcast episode with her, so you should for sure listen to that. Not on my podcast, like she has a podcast. Okay, cool. Alexis223, CS Scott4295, Eugenia1851, what's up? Olive Handstands, Transforming Buffs. Pilates RC, that's my Pilates instructor, Robin Cohen, who I often mention in my stories, Whitney Hyde, Gentle Ben, a friend of mine. I've known Ben since like third or fourth grade. Thank you so much for your support. Mish the Human, another like loyal friend um, and supporter of everything I've been doing online. So appreciate it. And Maria Carrillo. So thank you all. You're awesome. Keep leaving those reviews and I'll keep saying your names. So I'm also going to start reading the names of people in Team Truffle Salt. So Team Truffle Salt is one of the highest tiers in my Patreon. And with Team Truffle Salt, not only will you get a shout out on the podcast, but you also will get to ask me a question that I will answer within a couple days on my Patreon only feed. And so the feed, all the answers to my questions for these people are on Team Mac and Cheese and above. So if you're on Team Mac and Cheese, you can see all the answers. But if you're on Team Truffle Salt, you actually get to email me an answer. I mean, email me a question and I'll answer it for you. And so in the advertiser section today, I'm actually going to be reading the answers from one of my team truffle salt questions because I thought y'all might be interested in it and it was relevant to our interview today. So I'm not going to read the names of the people who are on team truffle salt before I started the podcast because they didn't consent 
to having their names read. So I don't know if they want their anonymity, anonymity, yeah, uh, preserved. So if you want your name read and you are currently a Team Truffle Salt member, let me know. Um, but shout out to James Moresco for becoming a Team Truffle Salt member today. Really, really grateful for you. And you are a star. Also, in case you were wondering, yes, my Patreon team names are named after my favorite foods. Um, so I think we've got Team Popcorn, Team Mac and Cheese, Team Truffle Salt. I think I added another one, but I can't remember off the top of my head. And um, then the f- highest tier is Team Tucker Max, who's my cat. <laughs> if you don't follow me on Instagram, then you're missing out on a lot of really great cat content as well. So you should definitely go do that. Follow me at Trust Your Body Project. And then a final note that my 16-week accelerated food healing program, Jumpstart to Food Freedom, is starting in March. I am currently taking discovery calls right now and applications for people who want to be a part of it. It's going to be a very small group because I only have so much bandwidth and I'm. this is a really like intensive, fully supportive group in one-on-one course. And so I want to be able to give the most of myself to the people who are investing in that. And yeah, that's just a philosophy of mine. That's part of the way that I work is I only take on a few clients at a time and it's pretty intensive, but it helps me. I just show up more fully when that's the case. And so that is like how I prefer to work. And I'm very, very excited. So far, I've been having some really amazing calls with people who are interested in joining the program and I am still taking calls. So if you're interested in that, or if you just want to learn more, you can head on over to whitneycatalano.com slash food dash freedom. It's whitneycatalano.com slash food dash freedom. And again, all of this information and anything I mention, hopefully if I remember, <laughs> will go in the show notes for ya. All right, let's jump into the appetizer section and a quick disclaimer that the information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. Okay, so for today's appetizer, I'm reading a question that was actually posted by um, a Team Truffle Salt member. So if you're in Team Truffle Salt or above, you get to ask me one question that I'll respond to in my Patreon feed. And I may renew that after a certain amount of time if you have more questions, but for now, that's how it works. And so you just have to email me um, and I will answer it in the Patreon only feed. So they say, first of all, I just want to say thank you. So much of your content has really changed a lot for me in my relationship with food so far. What I'm currently struggling with is how do I work out while not giving into diet culture? I have goals in the gym related to strength and endurance. I want to remain letting my body do its thing, but I kind of want to have a goal while working out. Is that giving into diet culture? Also, let me know if you know of any good trainers on IG or in general who are in tune with intuitive eating and working out. I'd love to look at how they navigate that as well. Also, I continue to put on a few more pounds each year and see myself changing into something I wasn't comfortable with. Yes, fat phobic, I know. Being 23 years old and changing drastically so fast also scared me. I'm so happy I found you. I just knew going back into the vicious diet cycle wasn't best for me. So any advice on how to continue on this journey would be appreciated. So thank you so much for your kind words, first of all, and for this question. And just in general, I want to commend you for acknowledging when your um, desires or beliefs about your body are fat phobic, because that's really the first step. Even if it sucks and you feel guilty, like, oh my gosh, I know this thought that I'm having about my body is fat phobic. It's really important to still, you know, recognize when it comes up so that you can start to challenge those thoughts. 
The other thing I'll say, and this is something that I talked to Chrissy about in the interview, is that just to be careful with following fitness professionals online because it can kind of be hard to tell sometimes what they're trying to promote because so many fitness professionals have jumped on this like self-love bandwagon, but then they're still selling weight loss. And those two things like inherently you know, you can't have body positivity and selling weight loss. It just doesn't work. And I will explain that in a later episode. So yeah, just please be aware of that and definitely listen for the interview with Chrissy because she gives some great advice on what to look for in a trainer on Instagram. In terms of having fitness goals though, that is not inherently diet culture. And I'm so proud of you for questioning it and wanting to self-regulate those thoughts. Uh, Like I said before, you know, the fact that you're questioning your motivations, you're questioning your thoughts, you're pointing out when something is fat phobic, these are all things that we need to be celebrating because they're helping you dismantle this way of thinking that diet culture has ingrained in you for so many years. So make sure to celebrate those little milestones of like, wow, a year ago, I never would have questioned this thought. And now I'm questioning it. Like that's a huge step. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with you for having fitness goals. And I think one of the traps that we fall into when switching to intuitive eating is feeling like we also have to reject diet culture perfectly. And it's a trap because that's really going to be hard to do considering we still live in it. So there's going to be times that you find yourself doing or saying something that feels a little diety. And that's because, again, we live in this world. It's hard to avoid these messages completely. And we internalize things that we don't even realize. So obviously I can't know your motivations for working out with just one question, but it sounds to me that you're being really careful with about what you engage in so that you don't fall back down that slippery slope. A huge part of this process is learning to identify where your line is, identifying your boundaries. So by that, I mean asking yourself how you'll know if working out becomes unhealthy or your fitness goals become unhealthy. Some signs can be, you know, feeling guilty if you miss a workout or feeling like you have to go do a workout or feeling like your happiness and your self-worth are dependent on hitting those fitness goals. Another tip is figuring out if you have multiple motivations for working out. So this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's important to be honest with yourself instead of being in denial and being like, oh no, my intentions for working out are purely, you know, fitness related, even though you do have like part of you that's hoping that your body will change. That's okay. That's part of this process, but be honest and recognize when those thoughts are coming up. Get in the habit of checking back in with yourself regularly to make sure your goals for the gym are goals that you have and not goals that you think you should have, if that makes sense. So, you know, making sure that they're aligned with what you want and not what someone else is telling you that you should want or like the way that your body is supposed to look because of somebody else's body. I'd also recommend finding new ways to accomplish your goals in addition to going to the gym. So maybe, you know, trying a new style of working out or movement, um, yoga, or maybe a dance class or something like that, that challenges you and pushes you out of your normal sort of dieting routine. This isn't necessary for everyone, but it can be really helpful when you're exploring fitness again after or during your recovering process because because it keeps things fresh and it helps you kind of separate yourself from maybe the place which is could be the gym where you initially were really struggling with disordered eating. And then finally, just remember that this process is going to be a lot of trial and error. So just like with intuitive eating of like learning what you like, learning what you don't like, learning your hunger and fullness signals over, you know, a period of time and really, you know, 
strengthening your muscle around these certain responses, working out is going to be the same way. Not only are you looking to strengthen your body, but you're also looking to just like strengthen your ability to put your mental and emotional health first and constantly check in with yourself and make sure that you're not compromising your own well-being in pursuit of fitness goals. And if you're feeling nervous and insecure about going back to the gym or going to start moving your body during recovery, it's always a good idea to start slow and work up. So you don't have to like set these crazy goals right out the gate. You know, you can work up to them. You can say this week, I'm going to move my body once and I'm going to keep moving my body once a week until I'm ready to increase that. Because again, you don't want to push yourself so hard that you end up slipping back into a dangerous diet mentality for you. And then finally, what I'll say in response to your body's your body changing and, and learning how to accept that. I'll tell you what I say to everyone, which is bodies change. There's nothing you can do about it. I wish more people were willing to celebrate their changing body and celebrate what that changing body means for them. Because if your current body is happier, is mentally, emotionally, and even physically healthier, is representative of you finally putting yourself first and not feeling like you have to change every last bit of yourself for diet culture, then that is something to celebrate and something to cherish. When you are showing up in your life authentically, you will not only find people who support you and love you and care for you exactly as you are, but you will find that your body will become less important to your overall identity. So this process is about establishing identity outside of your body image. I definitely recommend, you know, unpacking some of the fears around your changing body and really being honest with yourself about what you're afraid of, because it's never about the weight itself. It's about what the weight means to you in society and what you're afraid of because of the weight. Once you've identified exactly what you are afraid of, then you'll be able to strategize and figure out how you want to address that in your own life. So I hope this helps. And again, if you would like to ask a question to potentially be answered on the podcast, you can email me at podcast at winniecatalano.com or you can join Team Truffle Salt to ask me a question, have it answered within a couple of days on Patreon. Okay. So today we're talking to Chrissy King. Um, Chrissy, you are a writer, a speaker, a strength coach, uh, self-proclaimed truth teller, which I love, with a passion for intersectional feminism and creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. So thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I'm honored to be here and chat with you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because... You know, one question I get all the time from people is how to engage in the fitness community and like have fitness goals without like falling deep into diet culture and without like all of the sort of weight loss rhetoric and everything. And then also to like having a place that you feel comfortable and safe. So um, I definitely wanted to talk to you more about that. But first thing I wanted to point out is, so on your website, one line that you wrote that really stood out to me was, um, I spent the majority of my 20s focused on shrinking my body, my voice, and my entire life in general. I obsessed about my weight and truly believed that my happiness lied on the other side of fat loss. So this really, really resonated with me. And I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I started weight training in my twenties. Um, and it wasn't because like I intentionally was like, Oh, I'm going to go lift weights. I joined a gym and I, I got a trainer because I literally, the thing I told her is like, 
I just want to be skinny. Like that was my only goal. Um, and like, so I started my first, like I went on my first diet that I specifically remember when I was like 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went on this diet because like, I knew that I gained weight, I think, but like, it wasn't like an issue for me, mm-hmm. but boy at school commented on my body and I got really embarrassed about it. And so I was like, Oh my God, I have to, I need to lose weight. And so I didn't know anything about fat loss or weight loss. I was 16. Right. So I just happened to have a family friend who had done like the Atkins diet and I had heard her like overheard her talking to my mom about that's like how she lost weight. So I literally drove myself to the bookstore and got like an Atkins diet book and then just started following it on my own. Um, and I did lose a lot of weight, but I was just obviously cutting out major food groups um, and also like just doing excessive amounts of cardio. Um, and so I lost a lot of weight. And then what happened is like everybody at school, the way they reacted to me was like, oh my God, you look so great. Like, how did you lose all this weight? And so like that kind of like set me off on this path of like always thinking that shrinking my body was the way that you get like validation and affirmation from the world. Mm-hmm. And so it was like this roller coaster of like yo-yo dieting from the majority of my twenties, always with the goal in mind that I just need to get back to this smaller body because I'm in a smaller body. Like people will like me more. I'll be more attractive to people in the world. Um, but the thing about <laughs> focusing on that is that number one, like it drained me energetically. Like all of my energy went to what I was eating and was it exercising and then like eating something that I, I didn't think I should eat. And then in turn being like, Oh no, I gotta go work this off, this food off. That became like a drain on me energetically. And also, um, like I just realized, or the other thing that happened with it is I was never satisfied. Like I'd say, I just need to lose pounds. I lose pounds. I'd be like, oh, I just need to change this thing. And mm-hmm. oh, it was always like very conditional sense of self-love. Like if I can wear the size, size clothes, if I can have a fat stomach, if I can get six pack abs, then I can be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and really when you live that way, there's always another thing, right? You never find a place where you're actually happy. And I remember being at my absolute leanest and I was still so, so miserable. And it was just like, when is it ever going to be enough? And I think it was at that moment that I was just like, I'm looking for all these things to make me happy. And they aren't going to be, there's never going to be on the other side of whatever it is, whether it's money, like weight loss, fat loss, a career, a relationship. Like if I'm putting all these conditions on happiness, I'll never get to the other side and be happy. It's not possible. Yeah, I totally relate to that. Um, And I'm curious too. So one of the things that you said in your website that you found was really transformational was powerlifting. Um, And I was wondering if you could talk a little more about that. Like what is powerlifting for people who don't know and, and how that transformed you? Yes. So powerlifting is like a style of strength training and it involves like three main movements, bench, squat, and deadlift. Um, and so what happened for me is I went to this gym, I got this trainer and she introduced me to weight training and it was just like doing, you know, a lot of body weight stuff or, you know, lunges, all kinds of stuff. We weren't doing a lot of compound movements like a bench squat or deadlift. She actually, um, started training at a, a, a small strength and conditioning gym that her boyfriend had opened. And when I went in the gym, I saw like for the first time ever, I saw like women like, you know, squatting and bench pressing. And I was like, what is this? You know, I had never seen it before. And I think I probably had seen maybe some men doing it at the gym, but it was like one of those sections I stayed away from because I found it intimidating. Um, and so I went to that gym and I saw people doing it. And like through a course of events, her boyfriend eventually was like, you should try this. And like my narrative growing up had always been that like, I'm just like a weak person, like physically. So for me, like powerlifting was like out of my realm of like possibility for myself. Um, but he's like, let's just try it. And like, 
interestingly enough, like I picked up the technique really well. Um, and I actually gained strength pretty quickly and eventually started competing. And so it was really transformative for me for a lot of reasons. Number one, it really helped me stop seeing the gym as just a place to go to shrink my body. And now it was a place I could go to like gain strength and feel like really accomplished and empowering. Because again, now I was like, wow, I guess I'm not like a weak person. That's just something I was telling myself. And so it just, it changed my relationship with the gym entirely. And then secondly, it really helped me. Like, I always say that the strength you gain in the gym transfers into every area of your life. And for me, that's particularly true because I had always thought that I just was weak. And when I realized that that wasn't true, then it was like this place where I started questioning, like, what other things have I told myself hmm. that I can't, really aren't true. Um, and so for me, strength training, like if, if I didn't ever start strength, strength, strength training or powerlifting, I could not imagine myself doing any of the things that I'm doing now, like using my voice or writing or putting my work into the world. Um, those, those just one things that I wouldn't, I wouldn't possibly be doing now if it wasn't for that transformation that I had through powerlifting and strength training. Yeah. And thankfully, because I mean, I read so many things that you had written, um, when you first agreed to do this podcast, because I was like, I just love it. I love your style of writing. I love reading your voice. I think that you have a really powerful voice and something that is different than it's just different. It's different than what you see online, which is so cool. Um, so how did you, I mean, I guess you kind of answered that, that that helped you find your voice, but when did you start talking about intersectional feminism and why? Yes, absolutely. So thank you also for the kind words. I appreciate that. Um, so basically I was doing this, uh, at the gym. I eventually went to a different gym and started training there. And the owner of that gym was really great. He really encouraged me like, Hey, have you ever thought about like coaching other people? And I was like, um, I don't know. And he's like, no, I think you should. You'd be great at it. Like, so anyways, I'm getting my personal training certification. And then he let me start training at the gym, like independently and training my own clients there, which was awesome. And like, he taught me a lot. He's such a, he's been like doing this for like 20, two decades. And so he just taught me so much too, as well. And so that's where I kind of started. Um, and then like, I randomly kind of randomly, but it was probably just like the universe. I decided that I really wanted to start doing some stuff online. And I signed up with this business coach, Jill Coleman, working with Jill and started talking about fitness and stuff online. And it was really great. Um, but one thing like for me, I noticed that I was feeling like a little uh, because I was really concerned about like what I was saying online because I was like, well, I want people to like me. I want people to follow me. And so there were certain topics I like I wouldn't talk about because I was just like, you know, especially as, as being a black woman and just having this like narrative in the world of like angry black women, I was like very cognizant that I didn't want people to think that about me. So I was really, really cautious about what I talked about. But then like offline, I was having all these conversations with my friends about like race and feminism and politics and all, and like the intersection of all those things. Um, and eventually I was just like, I don't feel like I'm being genuine and authentic in how I'm showing up online. And also I was really struggling to write about things that I liked and cared genuinely about. You know, when you write from a place of things that you're really into, it feels very different from when you're writing about things that you feel like you're supposed to write about. And I was spending all my time writing about things I was supposed to write about. So I thought, and so I just remember like I had worked on this blog for a long time and it was about the lack of like diversity in fitness spaces, but I had never posted it because I was like so scared to post it essentially. Mm. And I had talked to Jill about it and she was like, listen, you just got to rip the bandit off and post the blog and just do it. And so like one day I was like, okay, I was traveling. I was still working a corporate job at that time. And so I was traveling for work and I was like, well, if I post it before I start traveling, I won't be able to go on my phone. And so I was like posting around from the internet type of thing. 
but what's really cool is when I got back in the, online, like, you know, three or four hours later, people were like actually reading it and sharing it. And, like, I never read anything that people were actually like talking about. And I was getting lots of messages from like women telling me like, thank you for saying this. Like, this is something that's been on my mind for a long time. I really appreciate your voice in this space. And I think it was the first time that I was just like, oh, okay, that wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. And sure, there are people that disagreed, like that always happens. But also like, there was also an overwhelming support and like, I knew that it was something that was important that I'd be talking about. And so that was like the first blog that really like kind of started me down that course. And then I just like never turned back basically. Um, and, and so now like feminism and race is all a part of what I talk about in relation to fitness. Um, cause I do think they all, uh, intersect. And so that's definitely a big part of like my work now. Yeah. It's amazing. And I think it's important because it's a lot of people don't realize and probably a lot of white people, but a lot of people in general who have been sort of brought up to think that this is normal, how much the wellness industry and like the fitness industry have been whitewashed and like just completely taken over by this one image of what you're supposed to look like and, and how you're supposed to be in the gym or whatever it is. Um, and so having that, like having so many voices and a voice like yours to come in and be like, Hey, no, we need to be talking about, uh, I think in one article, a self magazine article that you wrote, you said that, um, basically that we need to be talking about the mental and emotional, um, ugh, words, the mental and emotional health of people of color and talking about like giving space for, to work through trauma and giving space to, for people to feel like safe and comfortable, um, so how, like, what has your experience been in fitness communities of maybe in fitness communities where you didn't feel welcome and then in fitness communities where you did? Yes. Um, so, and you brought up something really important that like, I think it's really easy, particularly if you are white, it's really easy to not even like notice it because like, that's just not part of your experience. So I feel like it's easy to be like, not even like, if you walk into a space, and you don't see a lot of people of color, that might not even be something that like registers in your mind, right? Versus if you're like a black person, you walk into a space, you will immediately notice if you're the only black person in the room. Like I, you know, like I am very aware of that all the time. Um, and so like, that's really important to note, but I, I have been in a lot of different fitness spaces where I felt really comfortable and a lot where I didn't feel comfortable. And I've been in a lot of situations where I felt very triggered by, um, uh, just things happening in the gym, conversation in the gym. Like recently I was in a gym that I know very well. Um, and like it, for me, like it was triggering, but also like I've done so much of this work that like, I think it's easier for me to just like chalk it up to like, I'm going to ignore this like stuff that's going in. But uh, like as a person, like if I was just coming there for the first time or if I had like experienced personal trauma myself with this particular situation, I could see a person never coming back. And so this was a situation just recently where I was in the gym. I was, for one, I was the only woman working out at the time. And there was like 15 men. Um, they were all white men and I was one black woman. So no other women in the gym. Um, and it was not anybody, no one was talking to me, but it was just a conversation around me. And they were talking about how at this particular gym, there's like quite a few police officers uh, that attend the gym. <clears throat> and they were talking about like how this one particular officer who regularly attends the gym doesn't like black people. And how he's like always looking for an opportunity to be a black person. And they weren't saying it in like a way that they were condoning his behavior or saying like, oh, he's like, that's good. But it's like, that's a very triggering conversation to be having in a fitness space. Besides the fact that I'm the only black person in the gym 
and, and it's like not an appropriate conversation to be having. And so it's like, and, and to also be like that this is a person who I see at the gym sometimes, right? Like I have seen him in the gym. I saw him the other day and I was like, oh God, I hope I'm leaving soon. Not because like I felt like anything was going to happen in that situation, but just because like, that's not a person that I want to be around in general. Right. And so I think there's things like that, that happen in just like Mike, and I call that like a microaggression, like, right. Like it wasn't something direct that happened to me. It wasn't an overt incident, but it was just like those things that you occur all the time in spaces and make people feel really uncomfortable. Um, on the flip side, I've been, I think one of the most welcoming spaces that I've ever felt like this is a really cool space is um, the Movement Minneapolis. And it's a gym in Minneapolis. Um, and it, like the first time I went in there, I mean, granted, I know some people there, that's probably part of it, but also like you can walk in and you feel like the warmth from people there and you feel very like everyone's wel- welcome and safe. And and it's like not so much that they explicitly say it because I don't know that I've ever heard them say it, but it's just how they live there. Like you can see that in the way that they do all the things they do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one thing that's really important distinguishment that that has to happen is like when people are talking about like diversity and inclusivity, like I I think lately those have become kind of like buzzwords that are like really trendy. I'm like, what's more important than like having the right language is like doing the right things, right? Like do people actually feel that when they walk into your space is more important than are you explicitly saying that, right? Because I I think showing the action is more important than saying the words. Um, And so I have had all all different types of experiences in gyms, some really great some really bad. I've left gyms because situations didn't feel um, safe or welcome or just like so many microaggressions happening in the regular that I didn't feel comfortable there. Um, so I think it's a pretty common experience. And I do think like myself personally, I've gotten better now about calling calling that active behavior out or talking to someone in charge about it. But I do totally understand also people don't always feel comfortable doing that um, and just choose like, I'm going to go somewhere else because this is not a space that is welcoming to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like knowing when you feel comfortable to say something, then do that. And if you don't, you don't have to, like, you don't have to be that person who goes and like tries to make waves. You can just try to remove yourself from that situation. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think doing like, there's no right or wrong answer. So it's like doing what feels most comfortable for you. The one thing I do think that's really important is that like, if you are a person that's in a position of privilege and you see things happening, I do think the responsibility to leverage your privilege to talk about things that are happening or to bring it to your attention. But I don't think it's like, I don't put any like level of responsibility in a person in a marginalized position that they have to make those waves or do whatever, because it can be wildly uncomfortable to be the person doing that, particularly if you feel like there's like this person that you need to like call out or whatever is in a position of power. Like you stand to lose a lot as a marginalized person. So I do also remind people that always, or, or like mention to people who is like, what can I do? It's like, if you have privilege in your life, like leverage that privilege to assist other people because you have like more space to do that than someone who is in a marginalized position. Hundred percent, and it's interesting. I always um, think about that in terms of you know when celebrities are doing interviews and they're part of a marginalized group and they're asked about these issues and what whatever it is, and um, it's almost like they're expected to be like a talking head for their entire group. And it's like, that's so unfair. Like you're already going through whatever it is, like facing these microaggressions or like not feeling included in different environments. And now you have to also be this sort of spokesperson for like what that's like. It just doesn't, it, it, 
ugh, it just feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. And I don't know if you follow iHeart Erica on Instagram, mm-hmm. but recently talking about this idea that like she has a very large platform where people like particularly white people will come into her inbox and be like, Hey, did you hear about this issue with this marginalized person? You should talk about this. And it's like, it's not her job as a person, as a black woman to like be the spearhead for all the problematic things happening in the world. It's like, how about you take some of that responsibility and talk about it yourself and your friend group and your whatever power and privilege whatever space that you have to talk about it yourself because it's like the burden of people of color, black women to like solve all the problems that are happening in the world. Right. That's like not the labor that belongs to us. Right. And there's so much that anyone can learn online. Like yeah. people like uh, Sassy Latte, I follow and I heard Erica and uh, it's just like, it's so easy to get this information and to learn how to talk about it and to mess up and say like, Hey, I'm going to mess up. I'm, I don't know necessarily how to talk about this perfectly, but like, we're going to try, we're going to do it and just take that responsibility. Like don't go DMing someone and be like, Hey, you need to talk about this. Like talk about it yourself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Something that's really important is like, it's, and I talk about this all the time with people is like, recognize that you will mess it up. Right. Mm-hmm. No matter who you are, I mess things up. Everybody messes things up that's okay. That's part of the process. Right. And it's also like an opportunity for you to be like, take responsibility for it and like not run from it. Um, and learn more if it requires more learn. And if you have more learning and if you have the opportunity to rectify whatever it is that you mess up, then rectify it. And then just like commit to doing better in the future. And, and like, if you're waiting for the time to get all the perfect language, like you'll never be able to ever talk about anything. Um, and so I think it's really important to recognize just what you said, that messing up is part of it. And also too, going along with that, like when you mess up, people will most likely bring it to your attention, right? And, and like two things with that. Number one, like you just need to maintain, uh, like don't get defensive about it because a lot of people will immediately get defensive. And like I'm trying to do a good thing. And it's like, all those things are fine, but also like you mess up. So it's okay. It's not a space for getting like defensive or centering yourself in the conversation. And another thing is also not the time to like tone police people. Cause like a big thing is people will be like, well, if you said it nicer to me, then I could have accepted it better. And it's like also not the space or the time to like police how people want to bring things to you. And I've had people, you know, call me out on things that I didn't say right or whatever. And like, it's, it's never okay for me to be like, well, I don't like the way you said it to me. Like, that's not even part of, shouldn't be part of the conversation. You know, it's just like, however people bring it to me, whether I like it or not, it's the criticism they got. And I have to like deal with it. And if I'm feeling hurt by the way that someone did that, then that's an opportunity for me to process that with someone else, (laughs) not to process that publicly or to process that with a person. It's to be like, oh, call a friend who really will be honest with you and will hold space for you and talk to them about that issue. Yeah, I love that. That's a great suggestion because I think a lot of people do tend to go to the internet to then process the things that they were called out for before they've had a chance. Like they're still hot in the moment and then they go to the internet and it's like, you know, and you're like, oh, you're probably saying things you don't necessarily want to be saying right now. And then you're going to have to like triple apologize. And then we're all sitting here like, what's happening? Yeah. Thing. And that's one of the things that's like awesome about the internet and also not awesome about the internet, right? Because the internet is so great. Like, especially like, uh, you know, Instagram is so cool because it allows us to share information really easily. And, but it's also instant, right? So like you have the opportunity to talk about things in the moment when you haven't necessarily processed them. 
Um, and then they're out there, right? And then you end up backtracking or be like, well, I said this, but I, I didn't have time to think about it. And so I'm always really cognizant of like when I'm feeling triggered by something or when I'm feeling whatever, it's like to take a step back and to process that a little bit before I decide to like shoot out. Not that I haven't done it because I have done it <laughs> instantly. And I'm always like, oh, I should have taken a minute, right? Um, so it's always a work in progress, but I do think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah, I think that's something that, um, you know, I people can relate to who are listening to this um, on a lot of topics, including including like calling out fat phobia, calling out diet culture, calling out racism or like microaggressions, you know, all of the, all of the different, um, hot topics right now and like feeling really triggered by them. And we all are going to be in those situations where you accidentally like call your, you know, cousin out or something, or like your grandpa, (laughs) like, and it gets awkward and you just like regret it in the minute. You're just like, well, I'm learning. And you just got to take a second and recognize that like you're learning and it's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the other thing that's really important, like going along with what you just said is like, I, I think especially with like all the things you listed actually, but like particularly with things like diet culture um, and fat phobia, like when you speak out about those things, you probably are inevitably going to offend some people that you consider peers because at least from my perspective, I, I see diet culture and fat phobia weave through so much of the fitness industry. Like even by people who say like, that's not what they're about, but like when you get down to what they're actually saying, it's like, it is there. Um, and so you will... Like, you know, that's the other thing, like sharing your truth or speaking your truth is that like people will get offended and like also that's okay because like no we don't all agree on one thing and, and there's gonna be people who don't agree with what I think and that's I'm totally fine with that. And it's like, you know, you can't make all the people happy. So I, I am really cognizant to be like, I stand in my truth and if it offends someone because I'm talking about something that maybe they feel personally triggered about it because maybe that's part of their business. I talk a lot of things regarding fat phobia that maybe that's part of their business and they don't see it that way. And so maybe that triggers them and like, I'm totally okay with people being triggered by the things I'm saying as long as I'm speaking truth from a place that's really authentic for myself and just recognize that yes, people will not like it. And yes, you will probably lose followers sometimes. And I talk about that a lot too. It's like losing followers Maybe that feels like really shitty in the moment, but also it's like, I would rather, I say this all the time, I'd rather have like 300 followers that are really passionate about what I'm talking about than like 10,000 followers that are like wishy-washy or or every time I post something, like people are going to be upset about it. Like that's not what it's like. It's just a number and it's not that important. Um, And me being true and honest to who I am and having a community that really uh, appreciates my message is like way more important to me than like having specific people follow me or having a specific number of followers even. Right. And like doing no harm or as little harm as we possibly can, which is, you know, that means not selling yourself out for followers or for whatever. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Like, yes, limiting harm is so important. Not that we're never going to harm people because like we will unintentionally, but like doing our best to reduce harm to people and yeah, like not selling out for followers or for money. Like I think in the fitness space too, it's so simple to be like, I want to make a ton of money and you can sell things in a way that I wouldn't, that I don't consider ethical because I don't think it's, because I do think it's harmful to people. Um, and like, that's something that you always have to like weigh for yourself individually. What's most important to you. Um, because I do particularly in fitness, I think it's just so simple to like sell things in a way that feels really gross to me. Um, but preys on people's insecurities about their bodies. Um, and it's really easy to get people to purchase buy button in a way that doesn't feel ethical for me. 
Yeah. So that kind of is a segue to a question that I wanted to ask you, which is um, how would you recommend people go about finding a trainer? Because there are a lot of trainers out there that are selling this or jumping on this bandwagon. And sometimes you don't find out until you're in the session. Like you're, <laughs> you're in the session, then they say something about dieting, say something about, you know, whatever. And you're just like, oh, I thought this was going to be okay. So what, what advice would you have there? Yeah. If I was looking for a coach personally, I'm going to talk from that perspective. If I was personally looking for a coach, one thing that I'm not interested in um, for me is I don't really jive with before and after pictures. And I'm not saying like, I'm not condemning people who use before and after pictures in their marketing, but like for me, like a before and after picture is always still really reminiscent of like this idea that this was, my body was not okay, but now it's better. Right. And that's not always at the core because like maybe like, a body change is also like is also linked to like just sleeping better and having less stress and all those things, which are great things. So before and after doesn't always mean whatever. But I think it's the idea that like I'm selling somebody something like if you look like this, but you want to look like this, like I can help you do that. And I am also really cognizant when I talk about this is that like I don't think there's anything wrong with the desire for fat loss. Like if someone wants fat loss, that is their prerogative because it's body autonomy is like what's at the core of my values. Um, but I just think a lot of times, um, it's preying at people's like, cause I know my clients and we're working a lot of body image stuff. Like when they see stuff like that, it triggers them because it's like, Oh, I do need to like restrict. I need to do these things so that I can look like this. And so like, I personally am not interested in that from if I was looking for a coach, um, I'm also, if me, I wouldn't be interested in coaches who, um, like the majority of their conversation is around like cutting out sugar or like a lot of talk about like good and bad foods and even really being careful about like good and bad because I feel like that's been replaced with like good nutrient dense and like highly palatable right as like code words for like this is still whatever so I'm just really cognizant about how people talk about food how people talk about nutrition how people talk about exercise um and if I was looking for a coach, I would be looking for someone who talks about like look, feeling good in their body and feeling confident and feeling good in their skin. Because for me, it's less about like with all the clients I work about with, it's less about like, am I seeing my numbers on the scale go down? In fact, I encourage my clients not to weigh themselves, but more about like, how are you feeling? Are you energized? Are you sleeping well? Do you have, you know, are you feeling good after you eat and paying attention to your body's cues about what foods work for you and what foods don't make you feel the best? more so than like, these are specific things that you need to eat and these are things that you shouldn't eat. And just because I, I think fitness is so much more about, for me anyways, it's more about like living a life that feels really good and that I feel properly nourished and fueled to do and not about looking a certain way or a certain shape or a certain size and even like lifting a certain amount of weight, right? Because I also have a history of like, even after I like stopped worrying about shrinking, I very much tied myself worth to like how much I could lift, Right. And so like my work with my clients is that, that they feel, um, they want to understand for one, that the self-worth is not in any way derived to any of those things, that their self-worth is inherent. Um, and that fitness is a tool that's one part of our lives to help us feel good and to, uh, movement, not even just fitness, let's say movement is to help us feel good and not as a thing of like, I need to do this to look a certain way or to quote unquote be healthy, whatever that means. Um, and so I, I probably would be drawn to things more like that. Um, and then when we're talking about like creating safe and welcoming spaces and feeling good in like gym spaces, 
my recommendation for that is always to look at the people who work there and are they representative of the clientele that they say they want to serve. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like quote unquote inclusive spaces that are created by all thin white people. And you're just yeah. like, okay, but what? That's what you have here. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like you don't have the people informing your business practices that you are trying to like create a space create, for. Right? Yeah. Right. It's like not possible to create a space from a place where like the people in charge are all like not the things. So it's like, well, how are you? how are you even being mindful of like all the things that you need to be cognizant of? If that's like not your, if you don't have anybody like that working or making policies or any of those. Exactly. And it becomes really obvious too. And I think that's something that the internet has been awesome for is like recognizing pretty quickly when there's no one who is like a person of color on the decision-making team. And then they put something out and you're like, okay, that's could not be more obvious. Like, And I do, like, I, I really regularly encourage people, like, don't fall for the, the quick bait. Like, again, those words, like, diversity, including I'm creating a space that's diverse and inclusive. And it's like, okay, but let me, like, check the facts here. Let me look at your board of directors. Let me see who's on your staff getting paid, right? Like, are you employing all these different types of people and actually paying them? Um, that's where I know, like, if you're true to the game or if you're just, like, talking the talk and not walking the walk. Yeah, I love that. And I think you had some really good advice there for people to things to look out for when they find maybe trainers online or, or go talk to people. It's just like how they talk about everything and then do their actions line up with how they talk um, is kind of the two components there that I think are really important. Um, so I wanted to talk really quickly um, about your course that you had on your website. It was like, or have on your website, it's Diversity and Inclusion 101. Um, so I'd love to like just talk to you about that what inspired you to create it and if you have plans for kind of expanding on this or or what your thoughts are yes so i uh i created that course because i was finding myself like talking about this stuff in a lot of spaces um in person and just like on calls and then i had people reaching out to me to be like hey can we like hop on a consultation call for an hour and so i was doing a lot of that stuff. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to do like a one-on-one webinar. And it really is one-on-one basic knowledge. And I, so, you know, I'm always cocky when I say one-on-one because like, I'm sure you're familiar with one-on-one to like, when you're in the work, you might not be like one-on-one to other people. Right? Yeah. So, um, but it was just like a lot of the basics of like, even explaining like what, cause you know, people always use the word diversity and inclusivity like together. And they're like two very different things. And so like explaining what those definitions are and like explaining how we can start to do these things in our businesses online and any of the wellness spaces and like things that we need to consider and ideas that we need to talk about and like what does intersectional mean and why is it important to be talking about race and considerations with race and fitness and how like racism has a physical impact on health. And so like all those concepts we covered um, and it was a really informative class. I really enjoyed it. Um, And I am, I'm going to do another one next month, actually in March. Um, because there's, I mean, the, the, the course is available for purchase on my website, but I'm going to do another live edition um, just because it's kind of nice and interactive. People want to ask questions while we're online and go into things. Um, so I will be doing another one. Um, and then actually later this year, I'm developing some in-person workshops, um, which I'm really excited about, which will be like an eight-hour courses that will go much more in-depth than the webinar, which is like a two-hour webinar. Um, so I'll be doing those in a couple different cities. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about that too. Wow. That's awesome. I had no idea that was coming up, but I'm excited to keep an eye on what you're announcing. Excited for it. It should be fun. Yeah, that'll be. And I think the in-person thing is so valuable. Like love online. I love that. But to have like in-person, like immersion experiences are just a next level. 
I totally agree. And there's something like really special to me anyways, about like having uh, the space to talk about some of these things in an environment that feels like, you know, there'll probably be like smaller workshops, 15 people max, where there's a lot of time to talk about things and to be really open about fears around this work or any of those things and and to really engage with one another. Uh, I just think it's so much different than being in an online space. So yeah, I totally agree. Um, so to kind of take a different direction to wrap things up a little bit, a question. So I was going to ask you a question that I'd been asking, which is what is self-care? But I have kind of a different question for you instead, oh, cool. um, which is how would you describe intuition? Ooh, I love this one. So um, it's interesting that you bring this up because I feel like in the last like three-ish months, probably four months, this is something that I've been really cognizant into, into like tuning into my own intuition. Um, and so for me, intuition and well, sometimes intuition and ego can feel like, uh, hard to distinguish at times. And so, um, like for me, a cue for my intuition is like, anytime I get like a, a, like a, a nudge, like I call it a nudge from the universe. But like, even when I created for an example, when I did that first course on, um, diversity and inclusion one-on-one, I was just like out taking a walk to get some fresh air. And I just got like this idea, which came out of nowhere. Right. But like for me, that's just like, that's my intuition talking to me. And, but it was also so clear that like, Oh, I need to do this. And I didn't hesitate on it. So it's like, when I get a nudge from the inner, the, the universe, I go, I act in those things right away. I don't give myself the time to talk myself out of it. And when I do that, it always ends up being like really great things. And so for me, like it's a distinction of like the ego is when I get an idea and then I all of a sudden will be like, oh, I don't think I'm ready to do that. I don't think I'm equipped to do that. And it's like, oh no, that's not my intuition talking to me. That's like my ego trying to protect me. Um, And so I've been like really, really making it intentional to like listen to my intuition um, and get more familiar with that voice and quiet my mind so I can actually hear it, you know? Um, and so part of that has been doing like more meditation work for me and it's taking more time to intentionally be quiet, um, and quiet my mind. And, you know, like nature is really good for me. So like when I'm out taking walks, I feel like I can like tune into my intuition a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I always think of it like a little nudge. Um, and it's just very clear that I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I love that. Um, and I think that's interesting too, because talking about how the ego can kind of disguise as intuition um, brings up a really good point. Whereas when you're following your intuition, sometimes it can feel like really, really vulnerable because that is, it's like you've put your ego aside and you're really following this thing that could feel scary and could feel really new and just like threatens the ego a lot. But that is where the beauty happens. That's where the magic is. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I cannot agree more on that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That was such a good description. I think people are going to really resonate with that. So, well, thank you. I, I think we like covered everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, so I wanted to give you a chance to promote anything else that you're doing or just like, you know, where, tell people where they can find you. Yes, absolutely. So, um, I'm on Instagram at I am Christy King. Um, that's where I am most frequently. Same if Facebook is facebook.com backslash Christy King Fitness. But honestly, Instagram is like the place to keep up with me. My website, of course, which is ChristyKing.com. Things I have coming up. Um, I mentioned already I'm going to be doing some in-person workshops later in the year. So if that's something that you're interested in or if you're interested in doing the webinar that I'm going to do in March, like hop on my email list. I'll be putting out details about that. And I'll also be talking about an Instagram 
The other thing that I'm working on right now um, is a, another do-it-yourself power lifting program. It's called Power Conditioning 2.0. I did the 1.0 version probably like a year and a half ago. Um, so it's a little bit overdue for the 2.0 version, but I'm really excited about that. Um, and it's definitely a power lift base, a powerlifting based program with a little bit of conditioning work too. So if that's something that you're interested in or if powerlifting in general is something that you're interested in, I definitely recommend 1.0 first and then eventually 2.0. Um, and people have really enjoyed it. And people who are like new to powerlifting, like one thing that's important to me is to like make powerlifting feel really accessible. Like if you've never done it before, so because it can feel really intimidating. Um, so that's kind of like where the program comes in. So I'm really excited about that. And that will also be happening in April, the second version. So that's awesome. You have so much stuff coming up this year. I'm so excited for you. (laughs) Okay. So like I said, at the beginning, um, I had a tweet go viral and I ended up doing a whole thread about it. And I'm going to talk about that more next week. But one thing that I wanted to say is just when you're looking up nutrition information online and when you're following people's advice online, make sure to check in with yourself always and ask yourself what's best for you, okay? Because even with my information, even though I'm trying to prevent eating disorders and help people have healthier relationships with food, not everything that I say is going to work for you. I also don't know your body. I don't know anything. You're not my client. Like you're just on the internet and you found my podcast and you like it. Like that's, you know, and maybe you follow me on Instagram, but it doesn't mean that I know your body or I know what's best for you. My point is you need to figure out what's best for you. What I'm hoping you'll get out of this podcast is feeling like you are empowered to make decisions that feel right for you, your lifestyle, and your body. And you'll learn a little bit about how to tune into your body and ask yourself those questions like, does this feel right? Is this really what I want to be doing? Do I believe this person? Is this person credible and trustworthy? What are they telling me about my body that doesn't feel right? So every single time you're reading something, you need to, you know, look at the facts, look at the sources, look at the credibility, right? But then also just ask yourself if it makes sense to you. If it doesn't make sense to you, if it feels forced, if it feels unnatural, then maybe that's just not something that is going to work for you. And that is okay. You don't have to justify what you do with your body to anyone else, My whole thing is that if you're selling weight loss, then, you know, let's talk. I find that unethical. But when I say I'm anti-diet, I don't mean I'm anti-people who decide to diet for their bodies. I don't mean I'm anti-medical nutrition therapy. And I don't mean that everyone should just wake up tomorrow and stop wanting to diet. I mean that there is no evidence to support the use of dieting for weight loss. And the fact that health professionals and credible people are selling weight loss diets still boggles my freaking mind. Like it is so unbelievably unethical to me. It's just like that, that's, that's the bone that I have to pick. So we're going to be talking a lot more about the research next week when I've calmed down, because let me tell you, my anxiety is through the roof. Twitter is such a scary place. Oh my gosh. Like Instagram is way like Instagram. I've still, I've gotten, you know, comments that are mean or comments that are aggressive or whatever, and like bullied on Instagram that happens. But at least Instagram feels like this sort of safe space where for the most part, I've been able to decide who comes into it. 
I'm still relatively a small account, you know, but it's like, for the most part, I've been able to keep it a safe space for the people who are really there to learn. Twitter is just like a freaking shit show. Is Oh my gosh, it's so scary out there. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend a tweet ever going viral. Like, oh my gosh. But yeah, anyway, so I'm going to talk about that next week. For now, I hope you enjoyed this amazing episode with Chrissy King. All of the information will be in the show notes and I will talk to you soon. 